Welcome to the Spike Feed, your leading Magic the Gathering podcast. What is up? My name is Curtis, and I am just your typical Spike. On the line with me, uncharacteristically wearing black today, my good buddy and producer extraordinaire, Cameron McCoy. Dude, I this time of year, I expect a lighter tone from you, some pastels. What's going on? Yeah, you yeah. To talk about something? That, those fall colors, I, I don't know what happened. I think it's laundry day, and I just picked whatever is top, on top of the dresser. Okay, well, yeah. I am here for you, okay? <laughs> One of my favorite things about every week, I haven't really even shared this with you, is we get done with our call, right? And then I get a summary of my activity from Google, right? It's probably like a security thing. And because you're the only person I Google chat with, it just it, all it says is, Cameron has go- try- attempted to Google chat with you X amount of times this week, and it's just nothing but you trying to call me and me not be- It makes you seem like the neediest human being in the history of the world. It's awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Google. <laughs> I'm thinking about framing one of those emails, <laughs> yeah, you know? Just a whole line of Cameron. Cameron needs you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, dude, so this is a very, very light news week. So usually that results in a shorter show. Just trying to get that out there. You and I have actually played a little bit. You played actual... For realsies, paper magic. Um, or wait, did you play on Magic Online? You play paper no, magic, paper, right? Paper, 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 man. And there is actually a legacy event coming to your area, like in a month's time. So yeah. that's pretty sick. Um, dude, talk to me about it, about the format, everything. I just know nothing. Uh, so I don't know anything either. Like walking into the format, like I, I just feel like I, com- I was completely unprepared for this. Um, I'm running a blue-white miracles list. Um, really, really basic stock list that's running, you know, a couple snapcasters, counterbalances, um, monastery mentor, and then your complement of planeswalkers, right? Um, so it's a very, very stock list. Um that's not running a whole lot that's new. However, I played against a lot that was new. Um, and I just want to posit this, and listeners can completely disagree with me. I feel like Modern Masters has been very bad for modern legacy and vintage. Just going to put it out there. I just don't like what the power level of these cards are doing to something like Legacy. And this is coming from somebody who wants variants, who wants new decks to be popping up all the time. I totally love that. But I'm more of, I hate saying this, the guy who's in the Uro camp. Somebody who is getting his cards traditionally through the main sets the main releases and that's where i'm getting my death rights shaman or my uro or stone you know like all these like great amazing cards that are like legacy impactful where they're shaping the format uh for the better or for the worse but they're out there right totally fine with that i look at something like hogak arkham's astrolabe ragavan and while i don't have I have a real issue with Arkham's Astrolabe, and I'm glad it's gone. I don't have a real issue with Ragavan, but, dude, $300 in order to play what is already, like, an unreasonably expensive magic set. And, like, not only that, but, like, I, I mean, my, my Delver opponents, dude, 
blue red delver running two delvers and then everything else is brand new creature cards that you know are going to cost you well over $400 and I feel like Wizards knew exactly what they were doing and I think it's hurting just like the kind of the quality of the game because you have to spend $300 in order to get Raghavans. Not an amazing card, totally able to deal with. I don't think it needs to be banned per se, but it, I don't know, dude. Like, I find it to be an issue that they they released this card and they knew exactly what they were doing. Okay, so last week I posited I think it's as strong as Deathrite Shaman. It is. It really is. <laughs> uh, and that's banned in modern. I guess, I guess when I was talking about it being banned next week, Mm-hmm. Or, or last week, I, my perspective was in modern. Mm-hmm. I don't. Uh, Legacy is obviously a higher power. You can also daze and force. Yep. A Ragavan, you cannot force of negation him, which is I think notable. Um, but because like especially like when you're on miracles, uh, that is a card that you do not want to see turn one, but you have answers to yeah. right in the form of force of will plus swords plus all these other things, uh, where if you're on the play. In modern, I think you can always 100%, like, basically solitude, right, is the mm-hmm. is the thing that gets rid of it. That's the quote-unquote force of will. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm just being honest with you, dude. If we go down a road where modern still is a competitive GP pro tour, if those things even s- still exist, I don't think it's a should Raghavan be banned. I think it's a Raghavan will be banned. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, because he is so unreasonable in blue red and so unreasonable in John. And I know, like, dude, whenever I say this out loud at the modern tournaments I'm at, it is an incredibly unpopular opinion. Uh, I people love this card, and so I, but I just don't see. I think Oko is a stronger card than Raghavan, mm-hmm. but Deathrite Shaman, I think everyone agrees, was beyond the pale in this format, and this thing. <laughs> It it draws you a card. It requires less investment. It graveyard hate doesn't do anything to it, right? Like it's mm-hmm. really pushed. More on this later. But you also are playing expressive iteration in miracles. Am I reading so this right? So I'm not playing expressive iteration, but I'm just seeing it in like blue red delver and the uh, Jeskai standstill deck that's running Ragavan's uh, expressive iteration and yeah and uh. I'm just shocked, first and foremost, I don't know if you've seen the price of this uncommon card, but it's expensive, which I was very surprised with. And uh, yeah, once again, kind of under the radar for me as far as like how powerful that card is, but obviously in something like Legacy, uh, it's huge. I mean, you're netting two cards normally and you're putting away something that's on the top three or brainstorming away something and then expressive iteration. I mean, like, you know, there's certain things you can do to really, um, I don't know, improve your the quality of your card draws. So, like, um, I'm just kind of commenting on the fact that I'm, I'm really shocked at, like, a two-mana sorcery spell um, is as powerful as it is, but in Legacy, holy cow, man, it's, like, the card quality becomes so much better with that card. And, and what's wild is it doesn't see a ton of play in standard. There is a blue-red deck, and occasionally mm-hmm. they run some of them. But the way the format is gone, it's like you really can't afford to spend two mana doing nothing. 
mm-hmm. um, where like some of the legacy decks and modern decks you have that built in and historic. Like I think in historic Jeskai, it is a um, it's a necessity for that deck because it just it really le- allows you to leverage leverage your memory lapses. Mm-hmm. Like when you're on turn five, you can leave up laps plus iteration. Make sure you hit that land drop. Like there's just a lot of really cool things that you can do with it. Um, whereas standard doesn't really take that form, at least not in those colors, right? Yeah. The, the, the blue-red dragon deck, yes, while it does play some counter spells, it's a lot more like, I burn your thing, I play a big threat, and do I kill you in time, right? Um, so, Cameron, I want to tell you, first of all, of how I freed myself, <laughs> okay? And that is, I've cast off the yoke of needing to stay up on historic, Okay. Mm-hmm. Again, I just want to you know iterate on this, reiterate. I should say, I don't know that I will never play historic again. You know, I'm not walking away from it. Mm-hmm. But I was the guy that anytime a new thing came out for historic, I was on it. Jumpstart. Yeah. I I've, I've purchased every single single historic anthology. I would whenever they would release the new sets, like uh, what was it? Omniket had like Thoughtseize and Sphinx's Rev. I mean, I hit that stuff hard. I have multiple, multiple, multiple historic decks. And then as we talked about, I just found the Jumpstart Horizon thing to be so egregious and so not for me that I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to let this pass. Maybe one day I'll come back to it, play Control. I know Archmage's Charm is in the, in the format, so hey, I'll counter some stuff one day. But I'm just keeping up on all the decks. And the gold and wild cards have just been piling up in the background, Cameron. Mm-hmm. Like It's amazing how much of a drain that is and when I just nope out of it and I just play standard, suddenly it's like the accumulation. This is what Cameron lives like all the time, just <laughs> accumulating all this gold. This is amazing. It amazing. It's awesome. Yeah. You don't you don't draft and you don't necessarily worry about getting all the historic decks and you probably just stack it all up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, maybe I'm exaggerating. I know you have several historic decks, but I don't know that you've like bought all the anthologies and stuff like that, no, right? Never have. I mean, I've bought one, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, we've reached a point in, in this show where I'm trying to become more like you, Cameron. It's about um, time. Thank you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, you're anyway. welcome. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I suited up uh, more of, and I mentioned it last week, but I kind of have really fallen in love with this deck, is the blue-black control standard deck. Have you seen this, Cameron? I have seen this, yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, right now it's... Uh, it's one of the top five decks, but it is Control Classico, I mm-hmm. would say. It is, if you were to show me Shark Typhoon in, like, if you were to travel 10, back, <laughs> 10 years back in time and say, hey, this is a card, I'd be like, every deck is going to be a control deck. You're always going to play four Shark Typhoons. This card is insane. And, you know, I wouldn't have realized that Standard had gotten to a place that Shark Typhoon is. Yeah, medium. So-so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, and, and something like you find the villain's lair, which is like the most, I think the most egregious example of a card that would be standard defining 10, 15 years ago. And now it's just like, I can't believe we're playing this card. It doesn't seem that good. It seems like limited fodder. Um, but I love this deck because I just sit around. And I answer their stuff, and it just feels like magic of days gone by. Mm. It's like, you know, when these people buy 
vintage cars or vintage watches. I think <laughs> I think that that is the feeling that you get out of this deck. Um, I haven't really loved how it's played against rogues, uh, but Sultai Ultimatum, the Naya decks, or you know mm-hmm. the Adventure decks, and the uh, Blue Red Dragons deck, I've really liked how it's played against those. So it has uh, definitely got some game. D- yeah, does this play the um, the mono blue dragon that has the ward? Uh, I can't remember. It's like ward four, ward five, or something like that. So uh, yes, most versions do. The one I currently am running does not. Okay. And I'm only playing one midnight clock. Okay. Because um, I think that card is, I mean, more more fun than it is good. Yeah, it's it's yes, uh, that's exactly it. Yes. <laughs> um, but. You know, I, I would say I'm a little bit more on the counterspell in, uh, and you know, you you run some of these wrath effects, and uh, you know, hey, some of these decks can't answer them, um, but but you do run into these moments where, again, and I think I said this last week, your answers don't line up with what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Like you're playing against the Sultai deck, and you draw all your power word kills, and it's like, oh, <laughs> I can't actually stop them from doing anything. Uh, it's also I don't know how to say this without sounding like super condescending, but it it does feel like sideboarding matters the way it used to with this deck. Mm-hmm. Like you can sideboard incorrectly. Where I've had moments, which yes, technically sideboarding always matters, but like Rogues is a great example. You don't really want to cut into the engine, the real engine of the deck, right? And I know that I've personally sideboarded wrong and it kind of didn't matter because I had a, you know triple rune crab whatever you know sure. what i mean so yeah. like whereas this it's like if you're walking the razor's edge of if you sideboard wrong you are dead like dead dead <laughs> and that's fun right mm-hmm. um so i i've really liked that and that leads me to this thing this is kind of our show topic cameron every time i'm around modern legacy commander cube players they all say the same thing. I'm not, I don't play standard. I'm done with standard. Standard's a waste of money. I would like to posit to you that these players should return to standard. Mm. Okay? Now, what are the objections you would have to buying back into paper standard, Cameron? Go. Uh, I mean, well, currently right now, I would wait, you know, until rotation and then i would buy into paper standard just because those cards are going to be rotating out and uh sooner rather than later that being said um i don't know man like <laughs> i'm just gonna go with like you can buy a play set of ragavans or you could probably buy two pretty solid standard decks um and maybe win more money with standard i i do think um the skill ceiling and the player quality or the player skill level is not as high as it is in modern and legacy, mainly because like you're so familiar with those formats and the meta and all of that, that, um, you know, having one of the rotating formats, I think is going to bode better for you. So, you know, uh, yeah. So I tend to agree. I, and it's so weird because I'm a guy that, may or may not buy a standard deck. Like, that's kind of where I'm at. Just because I do have access to other things. Um, and I do want to spend my Friday nights, you know, having a good time. 
um, that can be standard, but you know, the options with legacy, especially over the last two years, I'm going to, I'm going to play legacy. <laughs> okay. And there, there is a, there is a, what I would call a buy-in bias, right? Like mm. you have a significant amount of legacy cards at this stage. So the buy-in bias is like, when you look at a legacy deck, you don't see, I have to drop four grand. Mm-hmm. you're dropping $300 on Ragavans. There's a yeah. huge difference, right? And again, I think that's all well and good. But here, I, I, just, I would love to just cut up some numbers with you, Cameron. And I would encourage people to do this too, okay? Right now, modern prices have shot way up. Your modern deck is expensive. And please don't hear me say, you need to sell your modern deck. But if we just start from zero, and I think when this show started, we would recommend people play non-rotating formats, right? Mm-hmm. My line has always been draft your way into a non-rotating deck, right? Draft, draft, draft. If you play limited for a year, chances are eventually, and I know I'm aging myself, but whenever I <laughs> first came back, like 2007-ish, you could draft your way, trade a bunch of cards, and eventually get yourself a legacy deck. Mm-hmm. If you drafted for a solid year, that was not a great, if you are a decent drafter, we don't live in that world anymore. And so we've got to set limited aside because I don't think you can draft your way into basically anything anymore. <laughs> right. Uh, and let's just use goldfish as our example, MTG goldfish, fabulous website. Okay. An average modern deck is generally speaking, 800 to a thousand dollars. Okay. I'm just going scrolling through. Almost everything's over a thousand dollars. There are some outliers. Most notably, burn is right at five hundred. Okay. Mm-hmm. What do you think they have standard rogues at right now? Oh man! Um, without looking, I'm going to say paper. I don't know, hundred and fifty, hundred and seventy bucks. Hundred and seventy-three dollars. Okay. Okay, and that's all 60, assuming you don't already have something, right? Um, and I would also point out, 40 of that is the Triomes, which are completely optional in this deck. Mm-hmm. Okay? And we could keep going down this list, but my point being is, I would encourage people not just to think in terms of, because the paradigm has shifted so drastically, but when I'm around non-rotating players, they don't see it. And I don't know if it's just because they're so in their own bubble and used to repeating these kind of mantras of what their format is. But specifically modern is still incredibly popular and people still say the stuff of, I don't have to pay for rotation, blah, blah, blah. But like we've been through this now with Modern Horizons, what you just said about Raghavan. Dude, it's not just Raghavan in that set. Right? Even Dragon Rage Channeler, Right? Um, that's a $7 uncom- Like we could keep going down this list of things that you need and it's not stopping. So like, I just want these non, these m- modern legacy players to hear Watsi has found you mm. there. You are now in the sites and the value is in standard. If you have a standard scene, because at 170 bucks for the best deck, you can win that back. And plus your investment, if you're a good player, in no time, right? I'm mm-hmm. not talking about arena where we're just throwing money into a giant, like, bottomless pit. I'm talking about actual Friday night magic. Mm-hmm. Like, 
What does that look like to win? Okay, and again, if you take out the triumphs, we're talking $130. Is that three F&M wins? And how long has Rogue been legal? Rogue's been legal. Mm-hmm. So, again, I would just ask people out there, and I know everybody's got play preferences, and I know this is a thing that really speaks to you, right? Is like you prefer the gameplay of Legacy, right? Sure, yeah. But forever and ever, and I know you've heard this too, the value is in a non-rotating format. I don't think that's true anymore. So, anyway, Cameron, there's my sales pitch. What do you say? I'm down. I mean, like, you know, the next major level tournament that we go to will very likely be standard. Um, And I do love participating in those events. I mean, the side stuff is always good, but um, sometimes I just want to, like, you know, cut my teeth on a standard deck and, and away we go. So it's probably what I'll do here come spring. Has Arena hurt your desire to play paper standard? It's actually, I would say, um, lit a fire for me to play more. Like Arena's really become this weird thing for me. Like I, I definitely got burnt out last year um, over the course of the, the pandemic. Um and it's made me kind of rediscover my love of just dedicating gold fishing and all that stuff that comes along with paper. Um, where, yeah, I think I'm actually more interested and more willing to play in standard because I'm more familiar with metagame and I can just take an elite, I can take and leave arena and I feel like I'm not doing anything with it it makes me actually a worse magic player in some ways as well which (laughs) that's neither here nor there i mean look when i went back to play friday night magic the amount of triggers i missed with rogues was like earth shattering um oh no the that was a big problem the companion Mm, like i just had my mm -hmm. companion face up hanging never even thought about paying the three mana like just never yeah (laughs) what a nice little pet um anyway I'm just putting this out there, and there might be something I'm missing, but uh, I find that my modern stuff, like, look, I'm holding on to modern. Legacy I've kind of sold out of because there's no opportunity for me to play it. Um, But I I mean, I would also slightly disagree with you in terms of the player skill. I think modern and standard are very, like, even in terms of player skill. I do think there is a jump with Legacy because the investment in some of those decks in terms of, no, like... There are guys that have literally been playing combo elves in Legacy for 10 years. Sure, yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? And so while you do run into some of those players in Modern, I think there are too many, like, I can do nothing about this moments in Modern. Uh, and, I, I mean, I experience that as a Storm player. Like, I, sometimes I lose to bad players, and I beat really, really good players, better players than mm-hmm. I am, because the variance thing just kind of happens to, hey... I got an Electromancer and a Manamorphose. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, those things do happen. And I and again, I would say this forever and ever. The highest skill ceiling thing in all of Magic is still limited. And that is kind of a problem for bringing in new players, I think, because, mm-hmm. you know, that's also naturally where new players come in. But, like, I would love to know what my store record is in limited. I think it's pretty decent because, like, you know, there's always some number of people that come in and just have no clue sure. what to do, yeah. what they're doing. Um. All right, so Cameron, let's get out of this. I do have like a thing at the end of the show that kind of ties in with this a little bit. Okay. Uh, that I'll want to talk about. So we'll be right back. All right, Cameron. So, kind of our end of show stuff. I have never read an Andy Weir novel, and he's had—is it three? 
You, did you peanut. read The Martian? I did not read The Martian. I've seen uh, it. Okay. My wife has read it. Okay. Um, I have not. All right. I yeah. think I'm the only one, right? I've never <laughs> Maybe. Read it. I mean, that was kind of like the uh, the blockbuster book of the uh, the year when it came out. Uh, but Andy Weir, author of The Martian, uh, released a new book here in 2021. It is called Project Hail Mary. And I'm about 50 pages into what is a, um, I don't know, 400, 500, somewhere along there, along uh, those lines of uh, length. Um, this book, much like the other, like The Martian, Andy Weir has a really good sense of humor where it's first person, a lot of internal thought, and just kind of the self-deprecating humor that is kind of weaved within it is really fun and it actually helps kind of, I don't know, connect me more to the character. So Project Hail Mary, uh, it opens up with this guy who is in space. Uh, he has no idea what his name is. He has all his skills and whatnot, and it, but he is clearly amnesia he doesn't know what he's on this this space uh craft for there's a robot that's like trying to like kind of like how 2000 take care of him we don't really know uh the two other crew members are dead and he it, it's just him unraveling this mystery of like what this end of the world scenario mission that they're on is about so the stakes obviously are very very high um, but it's, it reads like lightning. Like I, I started it last night and I, I mean, I blew through those, those, uh, first 50 pages and thoroughly enjoyed it very much like the Martian where like this will be one over the course of two weekends I'll have, you know, gone through and just had a great time reading. So, uh, if you've read Andy Weir, if you like sci-fi, all of the above, speculative fiction. Uh, I can't recommend this enough. It's just super fun. I guess the price is probably the only thing that I could maybe not do. There are these things called libraries. You might be able to check it out there. Um, but Andy Weir, Project Hail Mary, check it out. Seriously, go to your local library, man. Like, yeah. yeah. Those things Those things are the bomb. Uh, I, as, Since I transitioned back to paper books, I've been uh, frequenting um, mm -hmm. mine and... Uh, it's kind of amazing how quickly I get on the list at my library for the stuff that I'm into. Nice. Um, I'm not trying to stereotype my local library, but we'll just say there's a lot of romance novels <laughs> there. <laughs> and so I don't know that like them, like the stuff I read, if, if it's like in super high volume compared to what they normally uh, get requested. So that's cool. Mm -hmm. um, so I stumbled upon this documentary Cameron it's on YouTube and I want to make sure I get the, the 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 right link so the thing is called exposing fraud and deception in the retro video game market okay and the YouTuber's name is it's like oh gosh I want to make sure I get this right Carl Jopst okay and obviously I like old video games this was all around that kind of circle of people and I would highly recommend you watch it. I know it's a lengthy doc or expose. Um, but here's what it's about. 
I don't know if you've paid much attention. You've probably seen the headlines that sealed video games from when you and I were kids have exploded in value. And there was a sealed copy of Super Mario Brothers from like the mid 80s, still in the shrink wrap, sold for like a million and a half dollars. Okay. And these copies are graded. There is a grading company. And then they're all sold through this auction, auction house. Well, basically, this guy gets into, through SEC filings and stuff, that the people that run the grading company also work at the auction house. <laughs> and so they, I mean, already, you should start uh, smelling some issues here, right? But essentially, they, because these auction houses are super high end, they uh, leave the people who win the auctions anonymous for obvious reasons. Like if you were to win the Mona Lisa, you don't want people knowing your name and your address or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Well, people have found a way, this video posits, to take advantage of that. Because it, apparently this has been done with the, the coin market in the 80s, the comic book market a few years ago. And basically, let's say you own a copy of a Spider-Man comic mm-hmm. and it's worth 10 grand. You're already wealthy, okay? So you just put it on this auction sh- site, and then you rebuy it for $20,000, okay? No one knows. It's all your money, so you didn't lose anything. You've just artificially inflated the sale price of that. Because the way Magic Cards, Retro Games, all this, they dictate value by sold price, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And essentially, it shows these guys going on reality TV shows, talking about how these games are graded, blah, blah, blah. Um, But the graders are the ones that are actually doing this. So you don't know to what extent they're even being honest about the fact that the grade is proper, proper, Mm -hmm. right? And this is actually pointed out in the thing. And here's the thing that scared me the most about this, Cameron, is this is so icky and so ridiculous, but it is a market with more governance than the magic card market. <laughs> like, these guys still had to file SEC stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. None of that exists in magic, right? Like, it is just the Wild West comparatively. So if you, like, and we've talked about this many moons ago, if you were a millionaire, you could do some horrible things to the magic market, and it would work, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway... So I would highly, highly advise people watch this. I'll check it out, yeah. I would also point out that in my journey into getting into watches, um, it's made me more and more suspicious of the magic card market. Not, not a volcanic island. Not a black... You know what I'm saying? Sure. It's these other reserveless things from like homelands. It's like, who exactly is buying this. Is it all speculation? Are people only buying this because they think it's going to grow in value? Be- whereas like a Black Lotus, I think is a different thing, right? Um, but yeah, it, it's a really alarming thing to watch as someone that's into magic. Yeah. Um, and just the speculators bubble in general for some of these older cards. I don't know. Like I, I'm not Mr. Advisor, like you should stay in, you know, old cards or you should liquidate them, you know, do your own thing. But I think this was really eye-opening. Whereas, like, you know, for example, a Rolex, you know, that's, yes, those things are expensive. Ridiculously so, I would say. But a human being still had to assemble, like, 200-some-odd parts with, like, high-value materials, blah, blah, blah. Whereas, like, functionally, 
these cardboard pieces are entirely speculation. They're only valuable because we're putting this value into them mm-hmm. as collectors, right? So anyway, something we're thinking about. I, Cameron, I would ask you to link this this uh, video in the the thing because it is a great yeah. great video. So anyway, Cameron, if someone would like to talk to you about um, you know grading uh, grading uh, V neck shirts, where could they find you? <laughs> That's all on Twitter at Cameron underscore McCoy. And I'm at Curtis now. Our official show feed is at SpikeBeatMTG. We'll check you guys next week. <laughs>